Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. We're going to start a new sermon series called Straight Paths, and my voice is cracking. And uh, the title of today's message is Wandering and Wondering. And, and all of these series have been tied in together uh, with our previous series, and they are all been about possessing whatever God has for us this year. And, and this particular series is based off of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And, and, and this passage of Scripture is actually very uh, 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 meaningful to me because this is the very first Bible verse, or the way we used to call it back in the day in Sunday school, memory verse that I memorized. I was about five years old, and I was in a, in a, in a Sunday school class in Denver, Colorado. My aunt Martha was the teacher, and this is the very first memory verse that I ever learned in, in Sunday school, and so it's, it's been very dear to me, and it, it says in Proverbs 3, 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So we have been establishing that God is a God of purpose. Everything that he does, everything that he created, he always does and creates with a purpose and for a purpose. There is nothing in this world that exists just to exist. In fact, I could even say it this way, that no one exists in this world just to exist. In spite of what you may think about your life, in spite of what the enemy has been lying to you, in spite of, uh, of what life has thrown your way, you weren't born just to take up, up space. Now, in the kingdom of God, you are identified by your purpose. In fact, I often say that God doesn't identify you by your name, but he identifies you by your purpose. And, and a great example of that is an apple tree. An apple tree's identity is connected to its producing or its, its purpose of and ability to produce apples. Now, an apple tree can create uh, shade on a hot sunny day. It can produce wood for furniture or even a fire. But it wasn't created with the intention of producing shade or, or even producing wood for other products. It was created to produce apples apples. Its very reason for existence is to produce apples. So, so in the kingdom of God, your true identity is tied in to your purpose, your why, who God called and created you to be. That's why I often say that you cannot know who you are until you know why you are. So the enemy he understands that the key to you fulfilling your God-given purpose in this life is you discovering your identity. And last year we did the whole Kingdom Identity series and we understood how the enemy will always attack you at the point of your identity. He always wants to nip it in the bud. He wants to, he, he, he wants to get a hold of you before you, you start doing what God wants to do. A, a good friend of mine put it this way, is that whatever the devil's afraid to face in maturity he will try to destroy in infancy. So before you even get started, he's attacking your identity. He's attacking your, your self-esteem. He's trying to keep you from discovering who you are so you don't know why you are. And, and so that's exactly what he did with Eve. When Eve was in the Garden of Eden, he showed up and he, he got her to question her identity. He said, if you eat this if the fruit of this tree, then you will be like God. But the, the, the reality was that the Bible says that 
that God had already created them in his image and likeness, but he was causing her to doubt, to question, to wonder about her identity. And that's what the enemy does for us. He's always attacking us. He's attacking us in those areas that we're weak, those areas that, that we're, we're, we might be vulnerable in. Might be vulnerable in. And, and so because he knows that the key to you fulfilling your God-given purpose is you discovering your identity. Now, you've got to know that the devil is a liar. Somebody say the devil is a liar. And everything that proceeds from him is a lie. What do liars do? They what? They lie. Have you ever met somebody that just lies to lie? They, they don't even need a reason to lie. They, it just like, it just, it, lies just exude from them. Well, well, that's the devil. Now, the problem with the devil's lies and the reason that we often fall prey to his lies is because the devil will take a lie and he will always lace just enough truth to get you to believe or question what he's saying is true. He always does. There's always a, a little bit of truth. And that's why he went to Eve. He goes, did God really say that? Did God really say that you couldn't eat of that tree? Because he knows that if you eat of the tree, then, then you'll, you'll be like God. See, there was truth laced in. And what is the truth? That our desire is to be more like God. And so the reason that we always find ourselves susceptible to the devil's lies is because he will always lace just enough truth to get you to cause you to question or 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 to believe so you've got to know that whatever the enemy is saying about you you have to know that the opposite is true if he tells you that you're not smart enough then that that is not true. If he tells you you're not good enough, if you're not worthy, if you're inadequate, you have to know that whatever the enemy is telling you, the exact opposite is true. So I'm here to tell you that it doesn't matter what the situation or the circumstances surrounding your birth. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter what mistakes or how many times you have failed or fallen. Let me tell you, that doesn't change the fact that you were born for a purpose and, and he wants to use you for his purpose. And let me tell you that all of those things don't cancel or annul God's purpose or God's plans or even God's promises for your life. In fact, he is always passionately pursuing you so that you can fulfill his purpose for your life. God loves you so much that he'll, he'll passionately pursue you. He'll always find a way to, to draw you in, to, to draw you back. In fact, even in my life when I was younger and I didn't want anything to do with God or I didn't want anything to do with, with the ministry and, 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 and even being a pastor, I, I said, I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. God was always there pulling and pushing and pursuing, getting me. And let me tell you, that's why I'm here today because God will always passionately pursue you. He is so in love you. One of love with you. One of the things I always say is that God is not mad at you. He is madly in love with you. And he loves you so much. And so it doesn't matter how far you go, how far you stray. You have to know that God, he's part of the message. He's my model. That is how God is always passionately pursuing you so that you can fulfill he just wants to be close to the preacher. It's all good. So God has a purpose for your life. Now, within 
those purposes. He has established plans and, and promises. Now, God's purposes, plans, and promises will come to you through what we've come to understand as the process, the process. And we, we like to call the process here the meantime. Why? Because we know that the meantime can be what? Mean. It can be mean. It's not easy going through the process. It's, it's not easy. And the process can be precarious. This bump. The process can be precarious because the process is always necessary for preparation. Remember I say, the process will prepare you for your purpose. The process will prepare you for your promise. And sometimes we stumble and fall in the middle of the process. Right on cue, papito. And so the process can be precarious, but the process is, is necessary for your preparation. But the enemy will often exploit you in the process he, by trying to derail or, or de delay through discouragement or distraction. So when you're in that, that process, when you're going through that, that processing season, that, that preparation time, the enemy will often show up in, in those moments and he'll try to discourage you. He'll try to distract you. Now remember, the enemy's MO is to discredit, distract, and to discourage. And so you've got to understand that the process takes time. Now, there, there is a correlation between the level of purpose and the length of a process. There, there is a direct correlation. There's a reason why, and I'm not trying to be disparaging or demeaning, there's a reason why it takes four years to become a certified teacher, but it takes eight to ten years to become a doctor or a surgeon. The implication, the level of responsibility, the decisions you have to make. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want a doctor that got out in four years. I'm just saying, right? I'll take a teacher that got out in four years, but I don't think I want a doctor. You know, that, that, where do you go to school? Uh, Fisher Price University. No, that's not what I want. So there is a correlation between the level of purpose and the length of the process. So if you've been in the processing season and you've been wondering and you've been waiting and you've been waiting, let me tell you, it's because the level of process or the length of the process is directly correlated to the level of purpose. The greater the purpose, the longer the process. You know, we've talked about David. David waited 23 years from the time where he was anointed to be king until the time he ascended to the throne of all of Israel. 23 years. Don't you think in those 23 years, he was wondering and waiting, God, what's going on? When I was 12, I thought I, thought I was going to be instant. I thought, you know, I was going to get the anointing and get the crown. Don't you think Moses waiting 40 years in, in the desert, wondering and waiting, what's going on in those moments, being discouraged, the enemy trying to distract, and it's because the process is the preparation time, and the level of purpose is cor correlates with the, the length of the process. So in the middle of that process, you've got to know that the enemy is going to show up. You've got to know that he's going to exploit those moments of, of weakness, those moments of vulnerabilities, those moments of, of doubt, those moments of questioning and the longer it takes the more he's going to show up and and he does that why because the devil knows that he cannot deny God's purposes he cannot deny God's plans and he cannot deny God's promises for your life now he cannot deny them but he can delay them 
I've always said this, that the devil can't defeat you. He can only get you to quit. That's the only way that he can defeat you. He can defeat you. The only way that he can, he can defeat you is getting you to quit. And, and so he knows that he cannot stop God's plans and purpose for your life, but he knows that he can delay them. Now, how does he do that? The first step is that he will distract you. Now, now the enemy will distract you from your purpose. And how does he do this? He causes you to lose focus. How does he cause you to lose focus? He causes you to focus on the wrong things. Isn't that what he did to Eve in the garden? Instead of getting her to focus on all the fruit, on all the trees, he got her to focus on the one fruit of the one tree that God said you cannot have. And that's what happens. We're in the middle of this process and it's taking time and we're questioning and we're doubting and we're wondering like, God, is it really going to happen? Is it really going to take place in my life? And then all of a sudden the enemy comes and he comes and he will try to distract you. He will get you to focus on the wrong things. And that's what distraction is. Distraction is nothing more than being focused on the wrong things. And so that's what he did to Eve. He got her distracted by getting her to focus on the wrong things. Instead of focusing on what God said, he got her to focus on what God didn't say. And instead of focusing on all that she could have, Satan got her to focus on what she couldn't have. Isn't that what the enemy does with our giving? God says, give me 10%, and what does the enemy do? He gets you to focus on the 10% instead of the 90% that God blesses. And they were like, 10%? And God's, yeah, let me tell you, 90% bless is better than the 10% that you steal or you keep from God. But that's what he does. He will always get you to focus on the wrong things. He'll get you to focus on the wrong people. Oh, that church full of hypocrites. Yes, let me tell you, we are full of hypocrites. Every one of us is a hypocrite. I know some of you all aren't, but almost every one of us. They don't like me or they didn't greet me. He'll get you to focus. He'll do whatever he can in the middle of your process to get you distracted, to get you to focus on the wrong things, the things that aren't happening. The, the, he won't focus, get you to focus on the things that God is doing or has done in your life. He'll get you to focus just like he did with the, with the widow of Zarephath. What did the widow of Zarephath happen? Elijah shows up and he says, give me some food. And she says, all I have is a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. She was too focused on what she didn't have and she didn't realize that she had enough to make a miracle. And see, that's what it is. That's why the enemy wants to distract you. Because he knows that you serve a God that can take a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour and do something great in your life. But there you are. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the education. I don't know the right people. I don't come from the right family. I'm too tall. I'm too short. I'm too skinny. I'm too built. I don't know. Whatever your problem is. Some of us deal with that, okay? He'll always get you to focus on what you don't have instead of seeing what you do have. And then what happens? Distraction leads to discouragement. He began to get discouraged. He began to think, well, maybe God didn't, didn't really mean it. Maybe God's purposes and promises aren't for me. Maybe I'm, I'm the exception to the rule that God has plans and purposes for everybody else. And, and things aren't just working out for me. You, you don't think. And then what happens is distraction leads to discouragement. And the discouragement leads, leads you to lose your passion. You lose your passion. And losing your passion takes you from being productive in the process 
to just wandering. And, and that's what I'm thinking. And I don't, I don't want to offend anybody, but I probably will, is I don't believe in this thing called burnout. People are like, I'm just burned out. No, you're not burned out. You've lost your passion. And because you've lost your focus, you've lost your purpose, and now you've lost your passion. Because when you are focused and you have purpose, it doesn't matter what is happening in your life. You keep working. You keep driving. But the minute somebody says, well, I just feel burnt out, that tells me right away that the devil got you focused on the wrong things. You're focused on what you don't have, what they're not doing in your life, instead of focus on everything that God is giving you, everything that God is blessing you, everything that God is bringing to your life. And then what happens? You lose focus. You lose your passion. You lose your purpose. And then burnout comes. I know you aren't going to get a lot of amens, but it's all right. I'm going to preach the truth. I'm just burnt out. No, you're not burnt out. You got focused on the wrong things. Amen. Somebody give me an amen, please. I'm just burnt out. I just, I'm going to give that to you free. I'm not even going to charge you for that. And, and so when you lose your passion, it takes you from being productive in the process to just wandering. Isn't that what happened to the Israelites? The Bible says, and this is the exact term that the Bible uses to describe their process. They spent 40 years wandering in the desert. Wandering. Wandering in the desert. And, and if you look, if you ever seen a Bible map, back in the day, that's what we would do when we were little in church. We had Bibles that had all these cool maps. So while my dad was preaching, I'd be studying the maps. And you would see the map of the Israelites, and you would see it all curvy and windy, and they'd be going in circles, and they literally wandered, going in circles for 40 years, wandering, wandering. Why? Because they were in the middle of the process, and they, would, they, they lost track of the promise. They lost track of the purpose. They started focusing on what we didn't have. We don't have any food. And so what does God do? God sends manna from heaven. We don't have any water. What does God do? God takes water out of a rock. Now we have this big Red Sea. What does God do? God opens up the Red Sea. They were all Always focus on what they didn't have. We don't have what the other people have. We want, we want what the other people have. And that's why they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. See, when you lose your passion, you lose your focus, you get distracted, you fall into discouragement, then all of a sudden you will find yourself wandering in the middle of the process. So what is wandering? Wandering is unproductive movement. And that's when people get burnt out, when you're working and doing and nothing's being productive. Because when you're productive, that, pro that production gives you energy. That's good stuff. And that's what wandering is. Just being unproductive, just doing and working and doing all these things. And that's what was happening with the Israelites. They were wandering, and for 40 years, they wandered in the desert. They lost fact. In fact, so many lost. How do I know that they lost the, the, their, their purpose and their promise? Why? Because in that 40 years, there were two tribes that got so distracted, so discouraged, that lost their passion, that they willingly chose to stay in the desert instead of enter into the promised land. They became desert dwellers, and that's where they stayed. And so you lose your purpose, you lose your passion, and then you begin to wander. You know what happens after you start wandering? Wandering will lead you to wondering. 
See, when you're just wandering in the desert, wandering in the pasture, wandering in the pit, wandering in the process, all of a sudden you start to wander. What happens when you wander? Your mind starts playing tricks on you. You start seeing things that aren't there. You start imagining things that, that aren't happening. And then you'll be there. You'll start wondering, is God really with me? Am I in the right place? Am I in the right church? Did I, did I quit the right job? Did I take the right position? Am I in God's will? You'll start to wonder, did I miss God or did God miss it? Did God, did God make a mistake? And there you are. Your wandering will lead you to wondering and then the wandering will lead you to wandering then wandering will lead you to wandering and 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 then all of a sudden you find yourself in this vicious cycle between the wander and the wonder I know that never happens to you but let me tell you it happened to me and you're there wandering and the more you wander the more you wonder and the more you wonder the more you wander and the more you wander the more you wonder the more you wonder the more you wander I stayed up till 3 in the morning practicing that last night. Because I have some criticones in the congregation. I'm, I'm not going to point any fingers. And you find yourself in this vicious cycle. And there you are, wandering and wondering. And when you're in this cycle of wandering and wondering, what happens? You start to doubt the process, which causes you to start doubting the promise, which will then lead you to start doubting the purpose. I'm going to say that again. That was really good. When you're in the middle of the wandering and the wondering, hey, I can, it's a humble brag, okay? You start doubting the process, which will cause you then to start doubting the promise, which will then lead you to start doubting the purpose. So, so what is the key to break the cycle of wandering and wondering? And I'm so glad that you asked because I actually prepared it for you today. And the key to keep from wandering and wondering is to keep your peace in the middle of the process. Now, I, I know it sounds easy, but when you're in it, when you're in it, don't you just love it when people give you advice and they have no idea what they're going through? They've been divorced five times and they're giving you marriage advice. Marriage advice. You're like... Hey, maybe you know a little thing or two because you've seen a little thing or two. And you find yourself there. But it's not always easy to keep your peace. And, 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 and the key to keeping your peace in the process is, is trust. And that's what the prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 26.3. He says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. I, I love that word keep. That word keep in the Hebrew means he will preserve, he will protect, and he will provide. See, when you're in the middle of the process, the Bible says that when you trust, you keep your peace, he will keep you, he will provide, he will, he, he will protect, he will prosper, he, 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 will, he will bless you. When you're in the middle of, of this cycle and, and you're in the middle of this process, the Bible says that he will keep in perfect peace those who trust in the Lord and those whose thoughts are fixed on you. That's what it says. And that word keep means that he will preserve, he will protect, he will 
will provide. He will do all of these things. And then it says perfect peace. Now when you read that in the Hebrew, it, it only gives you one word, and the word is shalom. But, but the word shalom is really hard for us to understand because it encompasses so much more than just the absence of, of conflict. Because when we, when we hear peace, we think it's the absence of conflict or the absence of, of problem. But when you read the word shalom in Hebrew, it means completeness, it means soundness, it means welfare, health and prosperity, quiet and contentment. And so what the prophet is saying, that when you're in the middle of the process, you're in the middle of that meantime and you're waiting and, and you're, trying to, you're trying to stay out of that vicious cycle of wandering and wondering, the Bible says that he will keep in perfect peace. He will provide, he will protect, he will prosper in perfect peace. He will bring soundness, completeness, welfare, all those who trust in the Lord. But here's the key. It says, those whose thoughts are fixed on you. And we talked about it last week about taking every thought captive, demolishing every argument. And Let me tell you, the greatest enemy you will ever fight is you. That's the greatest enemy you'll ever fight is you. And, and, and see, the enemy knows that. That's why he attacks your identity. Because he will take a seed of a thought. He'll get you to question your, your, your worth. He will get you to question your, your, your faith. He will get you to question your, your viability. He will get you to question your intellect. He will get you to question your looks. Anything that he can do. Why? Because he knows that the greatest enemy that you will ever have to overcome is the battle in your mind, is yourself, is your thoughts. And so the key to keeping in perfect peace is you've got to keep your thoughts fixed on God. You have to keep it. And that's why Paul tells us you've got to take every thought captive. The moment the enemy wants to bring a, a, a seed or, or a thought of discouragement, of distraction, of disappointment, you've got to grab that. And then you've got to put it into the word and say, uh-uh, the Bible says I'm the head and not the tail, that I'm above and not beneath. I am blessed. I am rich. I am strong. I am healthy. I am whole. I don't care what you have to say. I know who I am. I know who he created me to be. And the minute he says, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you're never going to make it. That's why you've got to keep your thoughts fixed on him. So the more you wander, the more you wonder, and the more you wonder, the more you wander. And that vicious cycle will have you there in an unproductive moment, in an unproductive process. And you have all of this movement and all of this activity, and nothing is being produced. That's really what happens in, in the burnout. It's when you're doing all of this activity, and you see no fruit. You start to wonder and wonder. And so the key to breaking that cycle is to trust. And, and that's what the wise sage Solomon says in, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. So here, the wisest man who ever lived on the earth writes this. He's given us insight on how to stop the wandering and the wandering, that vicious cycle. He says that we have to trust. Trust in whom? We have to trust in the Lord. So it all starts with our trust 
in the Lord. And that's why the enemy will always cause you to question or doubt God's word for your life. Because he knows the minute that you trust him enough to trust him, he knows it's over for him. Because that trust will keep you in perfect peace. And, and I love what it says because it says when we put our trust in him, what is the end result? Verse 6 says that when we place our trust in him and we submit our ways to him, that he makes our paths straight. It all starts with trust. So I, I learned this in biology. Just kidding, geometry. The shortest distance between two points is what? A straight path, a straight line. So one of the strategies and the, the ta tactics of the enemy is to get you to doubt, to get you discouraged, to get you distracted, so you start wandering. So he gives you this winding road to your purpose. And in the middle of the winding road, that's where he wants you to abort God's plans and purpose for your life. And so the, the antithesis or the contrary to a straight line is a, a, a crooked path. But the, the Solomon says that trust in the Lord with all your heart and he will make your path straight. And what is a crooked path? The crooked path is filled with twists and turns, delays and detours. Years ago when we, would, we were living in, in, in Mexico, we lived in Ciudad Guzman, Jalisco, I would get invited to preach at this church in a small town called called Autolan Jalisco. I say small, but it was 80,000 people. A little bit bigger than Eagle Pass. And it would take us, it was a 45-mile drive, but it would take us over an hour and a half to get there. And the reason is, is because to get from where we live to that city, we would have to take this winding road that would take you up the mountain and then down the mountain and you literally could go like 15 to 20 miles on these curves. These curves were famous. You would literally see people stopping on the side of the road, throwing up because they would get car sick because that's how winding it was. And I know that's TMI, but just to give you an idea. And, and I thought about that when, when God was, was impressing me with this message in this series, how oftentimes God wants us to get, because can you imagine if it was a straight path, I would make it in about 45 minutes. But because the path is crooked and winding, filled with delays and detours, and that's not even to mention the, 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 the pothole size, or I should say the crater size potholes they had in the road that you would have to avoid. So instead of getting there in 45 minutes, it almost doubled the time and the length because the path wasn't straight. The path was was crooked and I thought like that's what happens to us a lot of times when the enemy causes us to doubt and not trust God he takes something that maybe should have been one year and makes it two years or two years and makes it four years or makes it five years so many times we get caught in that cycle because instead of putting our trust in him so you've got to realize that God is always trying to get you to his purpose to his promise for your life straight away he doesn't want the delay he wants to bless you right now he wants to break through right now he wants to promote you right now he wants to free you right now he wants to elevate you right now he wants to heal you right now God wants to do right now God wants to restore your marriage your family right now he he's not about the delay he's a god of the suddenly he's a god of the right now the enemy is afraid of that so the enemy is the one that brings the detours the distractions that cause the delays 
So in order for us to have a path straight, we must trust in his person. We must trust in his purpose. We must trust in his process. And we must also trust in his promises. So I'm going to close with this. I want to challenge you over the course of this series. I want you to say, God, teach me to trust you. Anybody want to learn to trust God? Because trust is a learned behavior. It, it, it doesn't come naturally. Our natural inclination is not to trust. Trust is, is not natural to us. It's, not, it, it's counterintuitive. It, it goes against our nature. So trust is a learned behavior. So I want to challenge you during this season, during this time, if you want to possess everything that God has for you, I want you to say, God, teach me to trust you. But wait, before you do that, let me warn you. That when you, let me put it this way. Do you know that there are some areas in your life where you can trust God and other areas where you don't? See, a lot of us, we might trust Him for spiritual things, but we don't trust Him in our finances. That's why we don't tithe and don't give offering because we can trust Him to bless us, but we can't trust Him to bless our finances. So you can trust in one area, not trust in the area. But what does Solomon say? He says, trust in the Lord with? With all. Let me say all. So you can trust Him in certain areas. I know people that have faith for other people. They can pray and lay hands on the sick and see them recover. But the moment they get sick, they're like, Pastor, I'm going to die. It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of funny. You're like, dude, you were just laying hands on a guy that just got healed. And now you got a cold and you're going to die? We can have faith for other people. See, we can trust for other things. But here's the thing. When you ask God, teach me to trust you, He's going to put you in places to test you because trust is a learned behavior. You know how I know? Don't tell Mario. But sometimes after church, I would take Mike and I would put him on that camera base up there. And I would tell him, come on, Papi, jump. Jump. And he would get to the edge. And you could see that he has all the intention to jump. But then he, see, he sees the danger. He sees the uncertainty and the instability. And then he'll do this. He'll reach for my hand. And the moment I give him my hand, then he'll jump. And then I would put him, then Thursday I would do the okay, K-pop, he jump. Why? Because I wanted, I wanted to teach him that he could trust me. And so then I would put him up there again, and I'd say, come on, I'll be jump. And I would stay away, and he'd be like, you could see him. And then he'd be like, uh-uh. And then he would reach out. I'd give him my hand. And then once I give him my hand, then he would jump. But little by little, it got to the point where he learned that he could trust me because trust is a learned behavior. And it got to the point where I could put him up there, and I would just stick my hands out a little bit. And that was enough for him because he goes, I know my daddy's going to catch me. I know my daddy's got me. I know that if I jump, he's going to grab a hold of me. He's not going to let me fall. He's not going to let me hurt, get hurt. So now he does that. And let me tell you, he learned to trust me so much that one time I put him up there, not so he could jump. I just put him up there to wait for me so he wouldn't run around, to, especially to the drums, and I would have to chase him around the whole church. But I said, wait here, Papi. And I put him up here, and I bent down to get the diaper bag. And out of the corner of my eye, I, the corner of my eye I see this little curly-haired boy flying through the air. I literally saw him, and I put the bag down, and I caught him. And I knew at that moment he trusts his daddy. Because I didn't even have to be looking at him. And he knew that if he jumped that I would catch him. And let me tell you, sometimes 
when you say, God, teach me to trust you, he's going to put you in those areas. He's going to test you in those areas where you don't trust him. And he's going to tell you, come on, papito, jump. Come on, papito, give. Come on, papito, pray. Come on, papito, fast. Come on, baby girl, you can do this. Trust me. Walk. And he might give you his hand. But at some point, he's going to move the hand and say, okay, you're a big boy. You're a big girl. Now it's time for you to jump knowing that daddy's going to catch you. What a great picture of how trust is a learned behavior. And when I saw my little curly-haired boy flying through the air, I knew that I had accomplished. He knows that whenever he jumps, daddy's going to catch him. That I'm going to be right there. And you've got to know that whenever you jump, daddy's going to catch you. But if you say, teach me to trust you, you've got to know that he's going to test you in those areas. Maybe you have faith, you, you can trust him in your finances, but you can't trust him for your marriage and for your children. Like, no, man, he holds just like his dad. He's a lost cause. I don't even think God can get a hold of him. Whatever it is, when you say, teach me to trust you, God, he will test you in those areas so that you can build your trust and your faith in him. And he's going to put you in that situation. He says, okay, I want you to do this. I want you to trust me enough to trust me. Man, this is good stuff. Did y'all get that today? I was going to stand right here and have Matt catch me when I jump, but <laughs> we'd both go falling down, I think. <laughs> He'd be like, ah, never mind. Amen. Well, I'm super excited about this series. We're going to unpack the rest of this first. The ne next few weeks It's going to be an amazing. Thank you for joining us, and a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.